Good morning, Journey. Sounds like some of you are already ready for school. Teacher gets up to teach. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. I've already seen some pictures from this year of uh, some of the charter schools and Christian schools and things that have started back, and parents are posting pictures. The struggle is real. And you see kids over there, you know, conked out. Uh, it happens. But I appreciate Monica praying because we want you to know that we're, we're praying for you, and we don't take anything for granted. We know everything is a spiritual battle, and so we are standing with you in prayer. And if we can ever help, uh, please let us know. But have you noticed God is doing a lot? There's a lot that's happening, a lot of good things that are happening, and any good thing is a God thing. Do you realize that? James tells us every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. So any good thing is a God thing. You can't have good without God. And so we're just thankful for what God is doing and what we have the privilege to be a part of, and we're thankful for you, and we're excited for what the, the future holds. We want to give a, a, a special shout-out to Jana Webb. Jana is our worship leader here at Journey. Normally she plays the keys, for those of you that maybe have not met Jana yet, but Jana tore her Achilles this week. And so she will be having surgery uh, this week, and so we want to give a shout-out to her. And uh, we miss you, Jana, but the worship team has done great today, and uh, we'll be praying for that surgery ahead. Well, have you been enjoying the series, God Says I Am? Because, not because I'm doing the series, it's because God says it. And when you have that confidence of what God says you are, it helps your identity to be solid. Because the world will constantly change in what they say you are. One minute, you're popular. Next minute, you're not popular. One minute, you're accepted. The next minute, you're not. But when God says it, it's eternal. And that helps us to have our identity that's secure. So we are, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning where we said the first week that God says... I am a sinner, but Jesus' blood changes that. And it's been interesting to hear, I've had several emails and text messages and phone calls that said, I've never thought about the blood of Jesus Christ giving me that confidence. And what surety that gives when it's not what the words I said, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us that confidence. So therefore, because Jesus' blood has paid for my sins and I have accepted that gift, I can tell you I'm saved. I'm no longer a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. But then the second part is this. He doesn't just say, well, you're saved. Then he says, you are my child. The second part was God says you are his child, and Jesus confirms that. When we have the identity that we have been saved, we've been cleansed from our sin, and we are the children of God, wow, what confidence that gives and if you feel like you're not wanted, you're not desired, you're a mistake, can I tell you with all surety of Scripture, you are not. God created you. He loves you. In fact, he even says when you accept what Jesus did for you, you are his child. Wow, what confidence. But then last week we looked at God says you are gifted, and his spirit empowers that. He's given to each of you a spiritual gift. And I hope that you've taken this week and kind of examined your life and said, Lord, how have you gifted me? How do you want to use me for your glory? How do you want to use me to help the body of Christ? And so if you're not involved, if you're not serving in some way, can I challenge you to do that? 
And for some of you that maybe haven't been through the Next Steps class, to sign up for that, to be able to go through that analysis, to see the, the different gifts that are there, and to be serving. My challenge to you last week, one of the challenges was this. We no longer want 10% of the people doing all the work. We want 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. And so that includes you. And so I hope that you'll take that seriously and say, Lord, how do you want to use me? But now we come to the last part of our series, the fourth part. And this is a part that many times we often cringe with. This is a part that, that I don't think we truly understand its whole significance of what it means. Because we listen to what the enemy says and we shy away from it. And when we, it's like this, if I said to you, you might want to go to your doctor and do a physical. Does that kind of give you the cringe? Do you sit there and go, man, I can't wait. I just had one three weeks ago. Can I go back for another one? When you hear the word physical, you don't sit there and rejoice. But a physical, if done right, should help provide good news. Hey, these things are good, but also provides, hey, you might want to check on these things. These things are showing signs of problems to come. And, and this phrase I'm about to give you in a Christian's ear is the same way as the word physical is to us in our natural ear. And it's this, God says you are accountable. Ooh, accountability. But I want to submit to you this morning, and I will prove it to you from Scripture, that if you understand how God says it, it's a good thing. Accountability is a good thing. It is a freeing thing. It's not just something where God is up there in the heavens looking down, and he's watching each of you, and he's just waiting for you to make a mistake, and bam, the lightning rod comes. That is not what he's talking about. There is so much more to it. God says you're accountable, but here's the great thing. Only you can affect that. I nor anyone else has the power to affect your accountability. I can't say, well, God, let me tell you what this person's really done, and that affects it. No, only you can. And I hope you'll see how freeing that is as we go through what Scripture says. But there's two things we need to look at to truly understand the idea of accountability. And the first one is this, from 1 Samuel 16, 7, the scripture tells us, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Now what he's saying is, you're going to look and go, oh wow, yeah, obviously, natural choice. God says, no, outwardly it looks good, but inwardly I know his heart and I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, we can come and we can get a shower and shave and do the hair if you have hair. And, you know, you can get everything ready and come and be like, man, I look the part of a Christian. But God says, let's examine that heart. So here's what I want you to think about. You do not have the capacity, nor do I, to judge anyone else because we cannot see their heart. We are inequipped. We cannot do it because we can't see the heart. We think we can, but we can't. It's kind of like this. Have you ever gone to Walmart or Dollar General or wherever and put on the different reading glasses? And sometimes they're magnified 
0.5 and sometimes 1 and 1.5 and for some that struggle, 3. And you put those on. Now, if, you're, if your eyesight is good and you put those glasses on, all of a sudden what was once clear now becomes unclear. And you try to walk around, it's like everything moves around and you can't see that well. If you've ever tried to wear progressives and the top is one prescription, the bottom's a different prescription, and all the world is like twirling as you walk around, what once was clear becomes unclear. But if you have a problem with your eyesight and you put those on, now what was once unclear becomes clear. We all see differently, right? That's not just true physically, but it's also spiritually. Because we cannot see the heart. So when you understand, it is really of no use for me to try to sit there and judge somebody because I can't see their heart. There's a second aspect. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Is that pretty clear? Does it give any acceptance for that? Does it say, beloved, you should almost never avenge yourselves? No, it says, never avenge yourselves. Now, yesterday, I was at Sheets filling up my car with gas. And I was standing there just filling it up. And all of a sudden, I heard a sound that just became annoying very quickly. Okay? I want you guys to be part of that. So here it goes. Ready? and that's not even half of it there's somebody here that I was talking to and they can testify to the length of how long that horn went and and, and we both kind of looked and we said what in the world apparently somebody was not going fast enough off the turn and the person behind them just wanted them to know that in their judgment they were wrong But can I tell you something? It did absolutely no good. The person kept going the same speed. In fact, probably slowed down even more. Like, oh, well. But we often try to take acceptance and say, well, I was right to try to avenge myself. I know what they were thinking. I know what their purpose was. I know. And we do more harm. Not just harm to that person, but harm to ourselves. So he says, never avenge yourselves, but what should we do then? But leave it to the wrath of God. Okay, church, I'm going to teach you two words that's the hardest thing for you and I to do. Ready? Here it goes. Leave it. Some of you are going to drop your children off tomorrow in kindergarten for the first time. Can we have a moment of tears? And for some of you... Your child's going to go in and be like, bye, mama. And you're going to sit in there and go, but baby, one more time. <laughs> Let me hug you one more time, right? Because the struggle's real. That's your baby. You've invested your time. But you know what? You can't sit there and go, oh, mama, come to school with you today. Because <laughs> the teacher will be there at the door going, leave it. Leave your child. In our lives, with our problems and our anger and our struggles and our judgments, it is hard for us to leave it. We take it to the Lord and we say, here, Lord, 
I'll let you deal with that person. Uh, Lord, just don't forget this person. Lord, have you dealt with it yet? I don't see any change. And it burdens you down. It embitters you. It angers you. It changes you. So he says, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Can I encourage you with this? Nobody will get away with anything. Put your mind at ease. If somebody's wronged you, if somebody's hurt you, if somebody's out talking about you, God's got it, and they will give an account to him. He will exact vengeance. But if you try to help, if you try to put your name in there and say, God and I have got this, it will change you, it will affect you, and now you will have to give an account. We have to trust, that's a hard word for us, only five letters, but it's hard. We have to trust that the Lord will hold all people accountable. If you try to mess with that, if you try to assist with that, it's only going to burden you down. When we understand the scope and the certainty of the Lord's judgment, it causes us to focus on our relationship with Jesus. When I understand I can't judge, I'm not equipped. I can't see as God sees. And when I understand that they will have to give an account for that, I need to leave it there, then it helps me to release that, and now I can just focus on my relationship with Jesus. Do you see how freeing that is? When you understand that no matter what others do, what others say, it comes down to your relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to illustrate this point before we get into the, the three points we need to see. I used to, to teach English and chemistry for five years, and in one of my chemistry classes that, that I taught, I was out doing car duty. It's one of those things that most teachers don't care to do, especially if it's raining and it's cold and all of that. Uh, and you're dealing with angry parents that had to wait too long and so forth. You know, you don't see people sit there and go, hey, teacher, blessed day. No, you usually get blessed out for being out there and having to deal with the kids. People don't enjoy that. But I was out there doing my responsibilities, and the students walking in were saying, Mr. Kelly, you are awesome. Now, teachers, you know, when your students say you're awesome, your alert goes off. That's not normal. And so I was like, okay, yeah, good morning. They kept coming by. I said, oh, Mr. Kelly, thank you so much. One student, I finally stopped and I said, what? What's going on? They said, thank you for moving the test. This test? I actually was holding the test in my hand that I just finished making copies of. They said, oh, yeah, Mr. Kelly, you're such a kidder. We got it, no problem. They went on. Okay. So we got time for class to start and the kids were just talking they were not preparing for the test and bell rang and so I said all right guys clear your desk take out your pencil your calculator your blank sheet of paper let's go Mr. Kelly are you serious yes we're not prepared what do you mean you're not prepared I've been telling you about this test I've been preparing you for this test I've announced it what do you mean you're not prepared for this well you canceled the test Says who? 
Well, we started tracing it back. This person said, I got a phone call last night. Well, who did you get the call from? This person. There were about 20 in the class. It didn't take long. All of a sudden, I saw one person getting very uncomfortable in his seat. And all of a sudden, five people all looked and all pointed at him and go, he called and told us that. So I called the student's name. I said, is that true? Yes, sir. I said, why did you do it? He said, I didn't want to take the test, and I figured if everybody had the understanding that you weren't going to give the test, that you wouldn't be able to give us the test. Good plan. (laughs) But unfortunately, you don't have the authority to do that, do you? No, sir. Did I tell you anything that gave you any idea that the test was moved? No, sir. Okay. So let's take the test. All the students now, they're up in arms. We didn't study. Why? Because this person heard it from this person. I said, but guys, did anybody hear it from me? No. Then you all are accountable. Let's take the test. Now, church, there are a lot of people in this world on different levels that are saying a lot of different things about God. We better understand what God says and not what people say. Because we can't stand before God and say, well, God, I didn't do it because I didn't think you really cared about it. Did I give you any indication? No, but I heard it from this person or that person. We better hear it from God because that's the one to whom we're gonna give an account. But here's the great thing, guys. When we hear it from God and we follow, we're ready. When we stand before him, it won't be a fear. It'll be, yes, Lord, I have lived for you. I have longed for this day to be in your presence. Yes, Lord, I am ready. Instead of, oh, I didn't think this was real. I thought this was a myth. I thought this was just folk legend. God says we are accountable. So there's three things about that accountability that we need to understand. First of all, it's this. Accountability or judgment is personal. I will not have to give an account for what any of you have done. I only have to give an account for what I've done. Isn't that freeing? I don't have to look and go, man, they're getting, they're they're doing bad things. Our daughter has such a tender heart. It's one thing I love about her. God can just whisper it and she'll do it. Sometimes he has to take the two by four to me to get my attention. And probably some of you can agree with that. But my daughter can just listen from God and she'll do it. But when she was in elementary school, starting out in first grade, she came home one day and she was all upset. Honey, what's wrong? So-and-so talked during quiet time and they're not supposed to do that, but the teacher didn't hear them. So her mother and I explained to her, honey, you don't have to worry about so-and-so. That's between them and the teacher. You just do what you know to be right. And it was freeing to her. Instead of having to make sure that everybody was found out and everybody was doing right, she just had to worry about one person, that was herself. Church, God is only going to hold you accountable for what you have done. So let that be freeing. I don't have to worry about if other people are going wrong. I just have to worry about my relationship with God. Hebrews 9.27 says this to us. And just as it is appointed for man to die... Once, so folks, are you going to die at some point, right? As somebody told me this week, it was interesting, said, 
Preacher, I'm ready to die. After I get the most out of my social security that I can, then I'm ready, right? We're not loading the bus right now, but we know that we're gonna die, right? It's certain, nobody's gonna get away from it. It is appointed a man wants to die, and after that comes judgment. Do you see the certainty of that? If you're gonna die, you're gonna be held accountable. Nobody's gonna escape, nobody's gonna have a loophole, nobody's gonna get around it. Just as it is certain you're gonna die, it is certain that you're going to give an account. So judgment or accountability, because that's what judgment is, okay? Judgment or accountability is equated or tied to death because both are certain. There's no way around it. Matthew 12, 36 says this to us. I tell you, on the day of judgment, Jesus speaking here, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every word will be accounted for. Because sometimes people say, well, how, how thorough is God going to be? It's pretty thorough, isn't it? But here's the great thing about that. If I spend my time talking about somebody else, I'm going to have to give an account to God for that. You don't have to try to worry what I'm saying. He'll take care of that. Again, nobody gets away with anything. Every word is accounted for. It goes on to say in Romans 2, 6, he will render to each one according to his or her works. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to punish you for what Randy's done. No, you are only accountable for what you have done. Romans 14, 11 through 12 says this, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Okay, do you get what God says? You're going to give an account? There's no way around it, right? There's no way to say, well, I don't think that applies to me. He has said it every way possible for us to understand that you will give an account for your works, not for anybody else's. You will give an account what you've done. Just like the IRS holds us accountable for what money we make and how it's spent and what can be deducted and so forth, even more so and with greater perfection, God holds us accountable. 1 Corinthians goes on to tell us in chapter 4, for I am not aware of anything against myself. I love that statement. Can you hear Paul's humor? I haven't done anything wrong according to me. Parents, you ever hear that from your kids? Did you do anything wrong? Mm -mm. Are you sure about that? I'm not telling. If you don't know, I'm not giving you evidence. According to me, I have done nothing wrong. But notice what Paul says, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, church, I hope you take many things away from this message. But if you're one of those say, Randy, I have very short-term memory and I have to keep it simple, remember this statement, will you? Again, it's from the Lord. It is the Lord who judges me. There's two things from that. Number one, again, I'm not your judge. But there is a judge and it is the Lord who judges me. Do you see that? freeing him both ends. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness 
and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, here's a word that we don't often use very much, the word commendation. A commendation means this, to reward or promote according to past history. If you are in the military, and if you do not do enough to be promoted, then your commendation is you get to stay the rank that you are. If you've done something to dishonor yourself in the military, then you are commended lower. If you've done those things which bring honor, then your commendation is higher. It means to promote you based on your past history. Here is the first sense that we get that God not only punishes, but he also rewards. Could you imagine as children, if you were only known by your parents for what you did wrong and just always told you're wrong, you're horrible, you're a, you're a mistake, you're a discouragement, you're a... that's not what God does. When we do right, he rewards. He's a good, good father. And I'm thankful that he does both. 2 Corinthians 5.10 goes on to tell us, for we must all appear. See, there's that word again. All throughout this series, I've been pointing out the word all. Remember, all means all, and that's all all means. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Will you be there? Yep. Will I be there? Yep. Will the President of the United States be there? Yep. Will all the people that have ever lived on the face of the earth be there? Yep. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So therefore, that's why I can say to you, nobody will get away with anything, for we must all stand before him. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Here it is again, whether good or evil. Will God judge you for the wrongs that you've done? Yes. But will he reward you for the good that you've done? Yes. Now, folks, we're not talking about salvation, right? Salvation is completely by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. This is what have you done with what he's given you. And if you've done good, you will be rewarded. If you have not, then it will be punished. But he does both. And for some of you, the best thing you can do is to tell the enemy, my God wants to reward me. It's when I listen to you that he punishes me. The accounting is for good as well as evil. So the judgment is personal. We must all stand before him. We will give an account for what we've done, whether it is good or evil or bad. You don't have to give an account for anyone else. You have to give an accounting for your own works. But then the second thing we need to look at is this. Judgment is proportional. Judgment is proportional. Luke 12 says this in verse 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The reward or the punishment is equated with the opportunity given. You see, Randy, why is that so important? I told you as a teacher 
There were times when the class would do something and I didn't know who it was. So everybody got punished. Didn't you hate when that happened? You're in class and the teacher goes, all right, all of you have to write a five-page paper this weekend. God doesn't do that. He doesn't sit there and go, well, everybody messed up, so everybody's going to, no. He looks at what's done and he rewards or he punishes proportionally. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us this, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because again, light is being given because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but as through fire. Sir, what does that mean? You ever looked at somebody's life? And, and the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. But you look at somebody's life, and in your estimation, in your mindset, you say, there's no way that person's saved. I just don't see any fruit. I just don't see anything, any good that God did when that, in that person's life. And so in your judgment, you would say, you know what, that person probably went to eternity without Jesus. But here it's given to us that there are those that are saved, as it were, by fire. And here's what it means. You made it in, but you were filling the flames of hell because you barely made it in. I take you back to that student in the chemistry class. Everybody else was, they had to take the test. That grade counted. I gave him a second test. They averaged the two together. The hit was not quite as hard, but it was a hit. For the person that fabricated this story, they had a zero on their test. Now, where I taught, you had to have a 70 to graduate. This person asked, do I get extra credit? No, you're going to have to work really hard. I'll tutor you. I'll help you, but you're going to have to work really hard. Came time for graduation. Oh, and by the way, I don't, I don't round up. A 69.9 is a 69.9. That's an F. He took his exam. He worked hard, done his part, took his exam. He graduated as by fire. Barely. I've seen him since, and we've talked about that story, and he said, Mr. Kelly, if I could go back, I would never have started that story. You see, folks, we can't see the heart. We just look at the actions. We just look at the appearance. God looks at the heart. When we understand that, there, are, there will be those that will hear these blessed words from our Savior, well done, Good and faithful servant, your rewards are plenteous because you trusted me, you followed me. But there will be those that will enter in that'll be just by fire. Revelation twenty two twelve says this, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Notice he's coming soon. Well, when is that? We don't know. It's soon but he's bringing his reward with him. So 
let me just stop here for just a second. If Jesus came today, if Jesus came today, and I want you just to see this, and I'm no longer on that stage, it's just Jesus. And he comes to you and he says, Kathy, let me see you for a minute. Would you panic and say, Lord, please, please see somebody else. Lord, there's some things I need to get right first. Let, start on that side of the room. If Jesus came today, what would be your response? Would you be able to say, Lord, yes, I want to see you. Yes, Lord, I'm coming from the back, Lord, I'm ready. That's what he means. He's bringing his recompense. He's bringing his payment. Are we ready? Because, again, we have people that, that say to us, ah, it doesn't really matter, it's not going to be. But, but I hope you've seen by now, again, what God says, we're going to have to stand before him. There is no changing that fact. And we don't know how long we have. So, folks, I want to be as close to Jesus today because it could be today. I don't want to wait for another year and say, Lord, just give me one more year. Lord, I want to follow today because it's urgent. Because Jesus' recompense will be with him and will be given in accordance to our faithfulness to him. Now, again, notice it's between you and him. Not anybody else, but you and him. But I want to leave you with this third point. Judgment is permanent. There is no second chance. There is no standing before Jesus and being like, wow, you are real. This isn't a figment of our imagination. This isn't something we did to give us temporary hope. You are real. You are the son of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And you can't wait till then and be like, okay, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry. It's too late. Revelation 20 says it to us this way. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated, was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Okay, let me just... Take, just close your eyes for just a second. Just picture that. Earth and sky, when they are in the presence of the Lord, flee away. And I've heard people say this. Well, when I stand before God, he's going to listen to me. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. You really think you're going to stand there and argue with God? Is it no wonder that no man has seen his presence and lived? Folks, this is my God. And if you're a child of God today, this is your God. This is why I have no fear of what the enemy can do when we're told in Scripture, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Even creation who knows him when they see his presence and they see the judgment coming, want to flee away because he is righteous and holy. And that's why if you try to stand in anything else other than the blood of Jesus Christ, you'll have no leg to stand on.
Because look at what it says. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. I hear this so many times. How could a loving God send people to hell? And I say to you, he doesn't. We do. If my student would have failed my class, somebody could come and say, if you're such a great teacher, how does somebody fail your class? He chose. He did. Yes, I wrote the F because the requirement was to make a 70 in the class. Folks, the only requirement that God has for us is not to live perfectly. He knows we can't. The only requirement God has for us is to believe the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and accept the blood payment for our sin. That's all he requires. But for those that say, no, not for me, I'm not following for that, not believing that, here's what the scripture says, but it goes on. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Do you see that again? What they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, God does not delight in doing that. You say, Randy, how do you know? He might be just that mean of a God, no? Because I go back to a verse that we all know so well, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus so that whosoever believes in him should not perish. We're not talking about dying physically. We're talking this death, the second death, the eternal death, the lake of fire death. That's the death he's talking about. He would not die that death, but have everlasting life. Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You say, well, Randy, I've, I've lied. Does that mean that's where I'm headed? No. It means those who chose that lifestyle rather than Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. If you choose this life rather than the life Jesus gives, that's what he's talking about. And let me give you this truth. The lake of fire is the second death, as God said, for which there is no resurrection. There is no change. There is no, oh, I'm sorry, can can I get something? No. Once that judgment's been given, once your name's not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the judgment given. But here's the thing, God doesn't want any one of his creation to have to do that. And if you will accept what Jesus has done, are you ready for this? Are you ready to take everything that we've looked at in the first three weeks and bring it together in conclusion right now? Get ready for this. Look at what it says in Revelation 20, verse six. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, that is in the faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
over such the second death has no power. Church, I stand here today because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because I am a child of God, that hell has no hold on me. I don't have to hope it. I don't have to wish it. I know it because Jesus paid it for me. And church, I hope you know that same confidence. I hope you have that same assurance in what Jesus has done. Because notice what it says, and they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. Talking about the millennial reign of Christ. But I have no fear of hell because I have Jesus. Revelation 21.7 says this, the one who conquers. Remember back in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Again, God confirming, I am a child of God. And if you're in Jesus Christ, that's how you conquer, then you are a child of God. Revelation 21, 27 says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All through Jesus. So when I stand before him, I give an account. Have I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? If so, then I am entering into his kingdom. And I will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ for everything that I've done. And folks, that's where I strive to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You get to enjoy the promises that he's given. You get to enjoy the presence of God. Folks, that day of accountability is coming. God says it, not me. This is not a fear tactic, a scare tactic. This is me simply sharing what God has said. So we have to ask ourselves three questions to prepare for that. First one is this. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Has there ever been a point in time in your life that you have accepted Jesus Christ's work on Calvary and asked for his blood to be applied to your life? If not, can I beg of you to understand he did it for you so you will not have to go through that second death, that cast into the lake of fire, but you can enjoy his presence and his blessings. You can do that today by admitting that you're a sinner, by agreeing with God that you deserve that, but yet you accept what Jesus did for you and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says if you will do that, you will be saved. Saved from what? That second death. You can have that confidence today. But the second question you have to ask yourself is this, how intentional am I in using every second of the day to follow Jesus? Since I'm gonna give an account, I want to be a good steward of what's been given. But that leads me to the third question. How much time do I waste trying to judge others? Trying to point out where they're messing up, where their shortcomings are, where they're doing. They'll have to give their own account before God. Instead of trying to judge them, can I give you a different perspective? Be that example for them. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, 
Let God be the judge. Here's what that means. Leave it. Trust it with God. Let God be the judge. Your job today is to be a witness. Because you know what? If I try to be your judge, we're just going to spend time arguing on, you don't know me, you don't understand me, you're going, and we just go back and forth. But you know what? If I live that example, if I live that life that clearly shines Jesus Christ, that's going to be your reminder of what Jesus wants from you. So church, maybe for some of you, it's time to stop being the judge and start being the witness. Folks, can you imagine the difference it would make in our church, in our community, in our world if we accepted the identity that we are saved, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we are gifted? Then folks, all that so that when I give an account, I will hear well done. Are you ready? If so, if you understand that, then here's what it's gonna be. You'll be a witness because you believe what God says. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of it. Father, it's not what man says. It's not what church and denominations say, but it's what God says. And Father, as long as we go with what God says, we can't go wrong. It's not always what we want to do because our flesh wants to fight it against it. But when we yield ourselves to you, all oh, the blessing, the joy that comes. So Father, today, today, would you bring that into our lives? And we'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, the call is clear. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't waste another minute. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, to be your Lord and Savior. Accept him today. But for those of you that are saved, are you wasting time being a judge, trying to focus what everybody else is doing, trying to figure out what's all happening? And maybe God today has challenged you, be a witness. If you believe that I'm gonna hold all men accountable, be a witness so that you yourself are ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but you're showing the way for others to hear the same. So during the first song that the worship team will sing, encourage you where you're at, or if God so moves, to come forward, come to this place, and just say either, Lord, I'm giving my life to you, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior, or Lord, I believe what you say about accountability. There are some things I need to shore up in my life, because if you came today, there'll be some things I would regret. But Lord, I wanna get those to you, and Lord, I wanna be a witness of your grace and of your love. During the second song, the usher team will come and they will pass the buckets. Please, if this is your first time with us, we didn't invite you here to try to get money. We wanted you to hear something far more valuable and that's Jesus Christ. So feel free to let the buckets pass. But church, are you ready to confirm your identity in Christ Jesus? And are you willing to be a witness for him so that when your day of accountability comes, you'll hear those words, well done. Well done.